Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to have you stand. You know, it's a shorter reading this morning, and I'm going to have you stand as we read the gospel together. Would you stand, please? Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through oh, about 27 or so. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who would save, who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Context is always important. And the immediate context of these words in Matthew's gospel are the profession of Peter. You remember Jesus uh, asked the disciples an easy question. Who do people say that I am? That's an easy question. Because everybody was talking about Jesus and everybody had an opinion. Some thought he was a prophet. Some thought he was John the Baptist, come back from the dead. There were lots of ideas about who this Jesus might be. And he let him go on for a little while and, and tell him what folks were saying, what was out there in the rumor mill about who this Jesus might be. And, 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 and then he turned it around and zeroed in and, and asked really the important question. But who do you say that I am? Not what do other people think. Not what are the possibilities. Not what are the rumors. But, but in your own heart, in your own mind, who, who do you say that I am? Don't forget that this band of folk have been traveling around for two and a half, three years together. Uh, the disciples have seen all sorts of things happen, heard teaching, uh, seen miracles. There have been incredible events that have taken place. There was that whole thing with walking on the water and the whole thing with feeding 5,000 and all this stuff has been going on. And Jesus turns to his disciples now that have seen it all and says to them, who, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. It was Peter who cut to the chase. I, I don't believe for a minute that Peter was the only one of the 12 who had figured that out, but Peter tended to be the quickest to speak, as we're going to see in just a minute or two. And so Peter makes this confession. Um, let me talk a little bit about Matthew's gospel, what Matthew is up to. The, the purpose, and you do know, don't you, that each of the four Gospels comes from a different perspective 
and has a bit of a different purpose. Um, Luke's gospel, for instance, is, is written largely to the Gentile world, and he tells stories that brings the Gentiles along, that doesn't assume they get all the Jewish stuff. Matthew's gospel is written specifically to a Jewish audience, and Matthew has one purpose in mind, and that is to make sure the Jewish audience understands that Jesus is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy, that it is Jesus himself who fulfills all of the promises that God has been making since the beginning of the covenant. This explains uh, your and my favorite section of scripture, the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and we're going, oh, come on, get to the story. But that is the story for Matthew. For Matthew, it's extremely important to connect the person Jesus to the prophecy of Messiah and show Israel, show the Jewish people that this Jesus is, in fact, the son of David. This Jesus is, in fact, the fulfillment of prophecy. The problem was that this idea of Messiah had transitioned through the years. I mean, through hundreds of years. You see, the whole idea of covenant, the whole idea of the coming of Messiah was to restore the relationship that had been broken by sin between humanity and God. The whole thing about Messiah, the whole thing about covenant was about restoration of relationship. But through the centuries, it had become something different. Through the centuries, it had become political. Through the centuries, it had become about the dominant power, and there had been several in Israel's history, about the dominant power being overthrown and, 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 and power and authority being returned to the nation and the people of Israel. The covenant had become about them, and they were looking for a Messiah that was going to help make that happen. So Jesus says, yes, you're right, Peter. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the living God. And then he says an interesting thing, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> let's, keep that, let's keep that on the down low for a, little, a few more weeks be, because something's happening. Something's about to change. This is late in the ministry of Jesus. We're really, really, really close to the cross. And, and, and then this line in the scripture, and this is one of those lines that, you know, there are lots of lines in scripture that we just tend to read past. We think they're kind of fillers. They set us up for the next thing. But I, I want to get across to you this morning that the most important, among the most important words in the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning are these words, from that time on. We just skipped over those, didn't we, as we, as we read through it. Those are about the most important words in this passage. From that time on, there's a turning point. Something changes right here. From that time on, Jesus begins to show his disciples. From that time on, Jesus' attention turns from the crowd to the followers. Jesus' attention turns from the 5,000 that he fed on the hillside, from the many that received his miraculous 
healing, from, from those that he proclaimed the coming of the kingdom to Jesus turns his attention from the crowd to the team, from the crowd to the disciples. That's very, very important because the words that follow in Matthew's gospel are almost exclusively spoken to the followers, to the team. And we're going to see in a little while how sometimes we take those words and we broadcast them out to the non-believing world just to make sure they understand how wrong they all are, right? And we forget that these aren't words that Jesus spoke to the non-believing world. These are words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. I wonder sometimes, I'm concerned sometimes, that the church has not made that transition with Jesus, that we're, we're still the crowd wanting to be fed and not the team willing to be led. Let me say that again. Are, 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 we, are we still the crowd, you know, wanting to be fed? Feed me, heal me, take care of me, do good stuff for me? Or have we become the team, the followers, that instead of primarily praying, feed me, heal me, fix me, well, usually that's fix them, because, I, you know, them always needs fixing more than, anyway. Um, or, or, or we realize that we are, who are following Jesus, we who are professing the name of Christ, we are now the ones from that time on who Jesus begins to lead and to teach. Well, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great sufferings at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. And the disciples sit there listening to this. And Peter, who first said, if it's you, tell me and I'll walk on the water with you. Peter, who was the first one to say, I know, I know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, who in just a few days is going to say, I don't know what the rest of these turkeys are going to do, but I'll never turn my back on you ever till tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, he didn't say that. That was Jesus' line, till tomorrow morning. Peter, who, and, and you know, um, it may be my very strange sense of humor, but I, I just find lots of times when I'm reading through the Bible that I will kind of chuckle at what I read. And, and it, this just strikes me as tragic yet humorous. That Peter who said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Can we just let that sit for a second? <laughs> you know, you, you are the son of the living God. God. That the next thing Peter says is, oh, no, 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 I'm not, not, you're not going to do that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's some nerve, folks. To acknowledge the absolute divinity of Jesus. You are God. Nah, I don't think that's a good idea. Let's not do that. <laughs> 
It's Peter who had proclaimed the divinity of Jesus. It's Peter who had walked on the water. It's, it's Peter who, who claimed his faithfulness over all the other disciples. It's the same Peter who said, no, 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 that's not right. That's not going to happen. That, that can't happen to you. What's going on? Why, why does one who knows who Jesus is, why does one who's willing to stand up and testify and say, yeah, he's the Lord, he's God, he's my Savior, why, why does that one, and, and it was Peter, because this is more of a personality thing than it is a theology thing. Peter's just, uh, he, he just talks before he thinks. He does it over and over and over doesn't make him better or worse than me. Well, it makes him, never mind. Doesn't make him better or worse than any. It's just his personality type. Sometimes I, sometimes I think we, we think that the more Christian we get, the, the less like ourselves we become. And, and, and that really just isn't the case. We become more and more like the person God created us to be. And Peter is going to be Peter till the very end. Just like Thomas was Thomas till the very end. John was John till the very end, as they were formed into the person that God, that God created them to be. But what's going on when Peter says no to the one he knows to be the divine Son of God? I'm glad you asked that, because I have two answers right here in the notes. There are two things going on. First, there's a mistaken understanding of the nature and mission of the Messiah. Let me read you two passages from uh, the Apostle Paul, from Colossians 1.19. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. What is, what is the mission of the Messiah? The, the mission of the Messiah is the reconciliation of all things to God. I had the privilege while uh, chaplain at NNU of, of speaking uh, every fall to the, to the new graduate class of social workers that came into our MSW program that we're going to get ready to advance. Um, I'm sure some of them were there because they had a passion for learning and the rest were there because they were going to get a raise when the program was over. And I, I think I'd have been a part of that latter. Anyway, um, but I had the opportunity to speak to them. And in, in the graduate programs especially, there was a, a, a mix of backgrounds and perspectives and religious affiliations. You didn't sign a faith statement. I probably, as many uh, non-believers as believers were in the room uh, at that time. And I would, I would meet them their first week on campus and just say, the, the services and the ministries of the campus are yours, and if there's any way at all that I can be helpful to you. And, and then I would read this scripture to them and say, let me tell you what you're getting to be a part of. Let me tell you what's going on. Whether you know it or not, whether this makes a lot of sense to you or not, you folk who are getting ready to move into the area of education and social work are moving into the central principal reason for the Messiah coming to earth reconciliation. You're, you're going to be involved in a profession that brings people together. 
that helps heal broken hearts and broken wounds and, and, and draws folks in. And I want you to know that you're a part of a great thing. And that's true whether you get it or not. And, and, and Israel seems to have forgotten that. That what God is about in Christ is reconciling all things. First of all, humanity to God. Restoring that relationship. But then, and if you look back to the fall story in, in, in Genesis, you see that the way things fell apart was first of all that relationship broken between God and humanity, and then that relationship broken between persons. You know, that's, that's where Adam changed his tune from here she is, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, to she made me do it. <laughs> broken relationship. And a broken relationship with nature, with the world. And God comes in Christ, in the Messiah, to reconcile all things to himself. Corinthians 5.19, 2 Corinthians 5.19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us. And, and God has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. One of the things that's going on in Peter's unwillingness to accept what Jesus is saying about his own destiny is that he's forgotten what Messiah is all about. He's forgotten that Messiah comes not to just liberate Israel. Messiah comes not to just restore power to his people. Messiah comes to reconcile the world to God and reconcile the world to himself. And he comes to do that through the cross. There's something else going on. And, and this is not going to be that much fun, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is, in Peter's heart, the uneasy suspicion that what's in store for the Messiah might also be in store for his followers. You get that? Because earlier in Matthew's Gospel, it's recorded that Jesus says this line about, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross and you go where I go. I don't think we or Peter protest the journey to the cross solely out of concern for Christ, but out of concern for what it means if that's the way he's going and he's really honestly asking us to follow him. Peter's no, that can't happen to you, is at least in part, no, no, <laughs> I don't want that to happen to me. I love Thomas' response, not in this setting, but in a different setting as they're getting ready to move toward Jerusalem. Uh, Thomas, who is kind of my patron saint, he and I both come to faith slow and hang on hard when we get it. But, but Thomas says, when they get ready to go to Jerusalem, and the other disciples are saying, I don't know if that's a good idea. Jerusalem's kind of a hot spot. Or, I don't know. Thomas says, oh, come on. Let's just go die with him. <laughs> Thomas gets it. Thomas is ready to walk in the footsteps of the master. Jesus' response to Peter is astounding. He, he doesn't mess around with Peter. He doesn't say, well, Peter, you know, I understand. You don't quite get it yet, but in a while you'll figure it out. You'll get a little more information. You'll get a few more questions answered. He, he turns to Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. See, the title of the message is Jesus is the way. Not 
one of the ways. He is the way. And you can't get where Jesus is going by traveling a road that Jesus isn't taking. I, I've, I've learned to uh, live with uh, Google Maps. I have no idea how I found anything before there was Google Maps. My, my, I, you know, when, when, when I first came up here, I, I sat in my driveway and I punched in uh, First Nazarene Church, Lewiston, Idaho, and I hit go, and, and Google Maps told me to back up out of my driveway. <laughs> and, and drive to the end of my street. And, and, and by the way, it also, it also got me here. Lorita and I traveled for most of a year, a couple of years ago, and, 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 and we learned that Google Maps has a theme song. You learned, it, you learned it as a Bible song, as a church song, but it really is Google's theme song. Trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy with Google than to trust and obey. If you don't do what she tells you, she will get you sometime and take you down a dark road. But with Google Maps, when you say, I live in Nampa and I want to go to Lewiston, Google Maps gives you three choices of how you can get there. You, you, you know, you can take your chances with the rock slide up 95 or you can or or you can by the way on google maps highway three is straight <laughs> yeah right right or you can you you know you can go out through pendleton and up through walla walla and you can go there are three ways to get there google maps gives you options on how to arrive at the same destination Jesus speaking to the disciples doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say, I'm one of the ways. <laughs> or I would recommend this way, but you can go that way if you want. Jesus says, I am the only way. Now we've got to go back and, and remind you of something that we said at the very beginning. And that was that these words are not spoken to the world, they are spoken to the disciples. And church, we have been guilty. No, no, well, yeah, but I have been guilty of taking this very familiar scripture, I am the way and the truth and the life, and, and holding that up to the world and saying, see how wrong you are? See, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if you're going some other way, you're wrong. Now, I'm not saying there's not truth to that, but I am saying Jesus doesn't say that to the world. Jesus waits until he turns the corner and begins to lead his disciples. And he says to his disciples, if, if you want if, if, if to go where I'm going, if you want to wind up where I'm going to wind up, there really is only one way to get there. And that's the way I'm going. And that's by way of the cross. So, so we don't get to say, well, I've decided with Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, but I really don't like this whole cross thing. I think I'd like to find a different way. 
maybe the way of power and success and all that other stuff. And Jesus says, you know, really I am the way. Um, a powerful spiritual mentor in my own life, my college chaplain, uh, once preached on this passage of Scripture and, and said what became a life-changing thing for me. Maybe it'll change the afternoon or a week or a life for someone else here. And that is that when he said, Jesus said, I am the way, he was not saying, I am a sign by the side of the road that says, go this way. What he was saying was, I am the road. I am the road. And if you want to get where I'm going, you're going to have to walk where I'm walking. Immediately, Jesus says this after, after saying, get behind me, Satan, which I, I would just imagine rather shocked, Peter. He said, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And really, this is, this is the heart of this morning's message. Um, we forget sometimes that there is a Christian way of thinking and that a Christian way of living only grows out of a Christian way of thinking. So what Jesus says to Peter is, you're a stumbling block, and the reason you're a stumbling block is that you're still thinking with an earthly brain and not a divine brain. Paul, again, Romans 8, 5, and 6, for you who live according to the flesh will set your minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit will set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And then this from Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Thank you. Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Minds. So that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The way we think is the way we live. And if we're still part of the crowd waiting to be fed and not part of the team waiting to be led, and we're still thinking the way the world thinks and we're still focused on the stuff the world's focused on, for one thing, Trying to be a Christian with a non-Christian mind is just miserable. You just live with conflict all the time. Yeah, I know, God wants me, to, but I want it, but God wants it, but I want it, but God, you know, all the time. But what's going on here is God is calling Peter and us and the church and the disciples everywhere to a life lived out of a transformed mind. What does that look like? Again, it's great that you're asking me these questions because I got the answers right here. <laughs> Drop down to Romans 12, 9. There we go. Thank you. This is as beautiful a description of what a life lived out of a mind set on Christ looks like. 
There's a Christian way of living. But a Christian way of living always and only, remember, I am the way, not one of them, a Christian way of living always and only grows out of a Christian way of thinking. And if we're living in harmony with the way we're thinking, it's called harmony, right? So here it is. Let love be genuine. Don't just pretend to love others. Really give yourself to them. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. You, you know, sometimes we just we compromise, don't we? And just Paul's just calling us to, to love the good stuff and hate the other stuff. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This, I think, is the only place where the Bible calls us to competition with Christian brothers and sisters. Outdo each other. There should be an ongoing honor you contest going on in the church where we just try as much as we can to make somebody else look better than us. You know, <laughs> you've done such a good job. Wow, that is so odd. No, you, oh, I won that one. No, that would be, that'd be going in the wrong direction. Don't lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. What's that mean? Be enthusiastic about what you do in and for the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be glad for what God is planning for you. I, I had a couple of conversations this week that just made my week with people who took the exercise from the Monday morning with Pastor Gene thing that you all are, have been inflicted with since I got here and, and actually spoke, heard fear and spoke hope into those situations. Uh, by the way, it wasn't always universally appreciated, but that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes people just walk away shaking their heads thinking we don't get it, but that's okay. Be patient in suffering. Always pray. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Be willing to be the one that meets the need that you see around you. God doesn't expect you or me to meet all the needs in the world, but when he shows us one, <laughs> with this transformed mind, we step up. Bless those who, this is where it gets hard. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Pray that the Lord will bless them. Here's what I'm better at. Praying that the Lord will fix them. But to pray that the Lord will bless them is a sign of a transformed mind. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's so easy. Unless we're jealous, then it's not so easy. Weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with one another. Work together happily. Don't try to act big. I love that paraphrase in one translation. Don't try to get into the good graces of important people, but enjoy the company of ordinary folk. Wish we had time to go back. I got a whole sermon on Jesus at a banquet, observing how people, um, oh, this is a terrible preacher way to say it, but I can't think of it, how people suck up to the rich folks at a banquet. And Jesus says, nah, that's not the way you live with a transformed mind. That's the world's mind. Don't claim to be wiser than you are. Oh, I'm not going to spend much time there. 
Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of God. If possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Don't avenge yourself. Leave that up to God. Folks, that's crazy talk. I mean, that whole thing is crazy talk. That's not the way the world works. Exactly. That's not the way the world works. And it's not the way the world works because it's not the way the world thinks. And Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says, the reason you rebuked me is that you're still thinking the way the world thinks. You're not thinking the way the Spirit thinks. And Paul picks that up and says, you know, we need to be renewed by the transforming of our minds. We, the team, who are willing to be led, not the crowd who are waiting to be fed, we need to learn to pray, not my will but thine. We need to learn to wait on the Lord and ask God what he wants rather than letting God know what we want. The prayer of the disciple is, is thy will be done, not thy will be changed. There's a contrast between the way the world thinks and the way Christ thinks in us. We're interested in avoiding pain and suffering. God is interested in redeeming the world. We're interested in self-gain. God is interested in universal well-being. We're interested in dealing with the symptoms of a fallen world, and, and God is interested in dealing with the cause. And he invites us to walk into the middle of the mess. Well, the passage doesn't end there. We need to spend just a few minutes in, in what comes next. Go ahead and change the, the slide. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their own life? Or what would they give in return for their life? But, uh, let, me, let, me, let me just give you a pop quiz. Uh, to whom is Jesus speaking? Right, the disciples. The rest of you just copy off her paper. And you'll all get it right. This is another one of those passages of Scripture that we have tended to throw at the non-believing world. And, and what we have been saying to the non-believing world through this passage of Scripture is, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, it, when you get to the end and you die, and you have all the stuff in the world and you lose your soul. But that's not what this passage of Scripture is saying. Remember, Jesus is the one who said, and John recorded in chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Isn't that amazing? Jesus who calls us to think with the mind of the Spirit and not with the mind of the world, think with a transformed mind, says, listen, the reason I'm here is so you can discover abundance in your life. There are a couple of different words in the Greek and, and I, I, every time I reference the Greek language in a sermon, I'm reminded of the words of a Greek prof, George Lyons, who said the only reason any preacher ever calls attention 
to the Greek language is because they're showing off. Okay, guilty. But this is kind of important. There, there, are, there are three words in the New Testament translated uh, life. Zoe, Z-O-E, which is God-given eternal, you know, life. Life, capital L, capital L-I-F, life. Then there are two other words, uh, bios, from which comes the word biology, and, and that's about what we are, right? Physical stuff. That's bios. There's another word that is uh, pronounced suke, P-S, for those of you who are taking notes, P-S something. Anyway, uh, and, and that's, that's the word from which we get our word psychology. And, and that's the word Jesus is using here. So bios is about what we are. Suke is about who we are. Our real life. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, you want to have a real life? You want to be who you want to be? Then follow me. Because the way you get to your real life is by walking the road that I'm walking. And that's the road that leads to the cross. Now for Jesus, it was a very literal cross. For us, it's a cross that turns us into the kind of people we read about in in Romans 12, the kind of people who think with the mind of Christ and, and who live this life of wonderful harmony out of that thought life that gives itself away, that opens itself to others, that meets the needs around it, that's not, as Paul said, just concerned about its own interests, but also the interests of others. And, and Jesus says, if you want to have that kind of suke, that kind of being, that kind of meaning, then walk this way. Because you're going to discover that kind of meaning at the end of a life that has been given away. Not that has been guarded. Not that has been protected. Not that's been preserved and held on to. But you're going to discover that kind of life at, at the close of a time that you have given who you are. I, I like it when I can figure out a way to cook a big thought down into a simple statement. Here's one. The self-giving Savior cannot be served by a self-serving disciple. Let me do that again. The self-giving Savior who just emptied himself, you know, <laughs> the self-giving Savior cannot be served by a self-serving disciple. And, and that's what Jesus wants to say to Peter. And that's what Jesus wants to say to Gene and to the rest of this mob, this crowd that's becoming a team that still loves being fed, but is willing also to be led. And to recognize that the way we get to where Jesus is going is by walking where Jesus has gone.
That's the gospel. That's good news. That, that, that we get to be who God has created us to be. That we get to come to the end. And yeah, maybe we've got some stuff. I'm really struggling over the fact that half the men in this congregation have better workshops than I have. Man, I'm struggling. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor. Anyway. We'll come to the end of life with probably more stuff than we need. We don't have time for testimonies here. But will we come to the end of our life having lived that life? And Jesus says the way, the way you get to live that life is by giving it away, by handing it out, by not hanging on to it. You, you can't serve a self-giving Savior by being a self-serving disciple. The last verse just says, in the end, God's going to make it work out okay. In the end, the investment of your life is going to be well repaid. You don't need to worry about that. But in the meantime, don't lose your life trying to hang on to it. Let's pray. Loving God, there's more Thomas in me than there is Peter, but every once in a while, some of Peter jumps up and says, no, that's, that's hard. I don't want to go that way. Forgive me for those times. Forgive us for those times that we would rather be a part of the crowd being fed than a part of the team being led. Help us Father, to step into that kind of surrendered, self-giving life that really does open life up. And we'll give you the praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.